so I thought I'll just quickly tell you just like a very short story on how I started going to church. So we had, well, basically growing up um, my whole life, I thought we were Christian because my parents told us we're Christian because we, well, we weren't anything else. Like if you weren't any one of the other religions, the only thing that was left was Christian. So I guess that's the checkbox on the form. Until, I don't know, I was probably like 12 or 13, and my brother's mates invited him to a youth group. And if you don't know what a youth group is, it's usually just like a church service for teenagers on a Friday night. And so I tagged along with them, and I remember walking into this church on a Friday night, legit looking for the priest, because my only frame of reference of church was like an American horror movie. And so it's just, in the horror movies, there's always a priest, and that's, that's what I was expecting. And obviously, I didn't find any of those. And it turns out it was just a bunch of normal people, and, and this guy preached, he shared a message or whatever, and I don't even know, even back then, I don't even think I knew what he was talking about, but for some reason, when they asked, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus, I found myself standing up, and I, and I said me, I don't really think I knew what I was doing, but there was just something that I was like, hey, that, and anyway, I got my first, like, super 100-year-old, hard-covered leather King James Bible that was super hard to read, especially for a homeschooler. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this random story is I'm just trying, to, just trying to share why I have kind of have a passion for, for young people and, and the next generation. And I'm not just sharing this because, A, you know, that, that's where I met Jesus when I was young and now it means something to me. It's just even now being involved with a lot of young people, you just, you just see how much potential young people have. You see how tough culture is and how tough just the pressures of trying to be young in this generation and growing up. And you're like, yo, actually the, the next generation really needs a church that loves Jesus and that loves them and that values them. And so what I want to talk about today is just the next generation. I want to talk about just how important young people are. I want to talk about just our roles when it comes to as a church and the next generation. But before I do that, I don't want you to switch off in terms of maybe you think this doesn't relate to you. So just for like five minutes, just forget I'm talking about anything to do with the next generation or young people. And I'm going to try as quickly as what I can to try sum up the entire story of the whole Bible. And the reason why I want to do this is I was trying to think, like I have this feeling in my gut, your young people are important, the next generation, but why? What, what's the point? Is it just some idea? Is it just some little nostalgic thing? Or, or is it actually biblical? So bear with me as fast as I can. We're going to go right to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And now, please don't hear this story as just some fairy tale thing from back in the day. This is literally our history and, and the plan that God has for each and every one of us sitting here. So in Genesis 1, it starts with, hey, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Fast forward a few more verses, 27. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And if you go read through Genesis and through creation, you'll see that God's intent through creation is one, well, he wanted to have a relationship with us. If you go, if you go read what it was like walking in the garden, Adam and Eve and God, we had full access to God. There was no sin, there was no shame, there was no sickness, there was no horrible stuff. It was literally God's perfect plan, us walking in 100% perfect relationship with God. And then sin happens. In chapter 3, 
as Adam and Eve sinned, it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And that's, again, this is not some fairy tale, this is our story. That's what we try and do. We sin, we mess up, there's guilt and there's shame, and we try and cover it up. But there's no, there's no proper way we have to actually cover our shame up properly, which is why, again, chapter 3, verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And really, we can start seeing a picture being painted of how it took, it took God taking blood, taking an animal, having to sacrifice something. Something had to die in order to be good enough to cover up our sin and our shame and our nakedness. And again, it's a picture God slowly painting of his ultimate plan to actually just redeem and bring people back to that relationship with him. Again, fast forward a bunch of chapters. We get to this guy. We get to this guy named Abraham. So God speaking to Abraham, God says, Um, In chapter 17, I will make you extremely fruitful and your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. So basically what God does is through Abraham, God begins to establish this nation called Israel. If you go look at chapter 12, you'll see the purpose of Israel is to be a blessing to, well, the whole world. Again, stay with me, almost done. Fast forward to the next book, Exodus. This is now, um, Moses already saved the, the Israelites out of Egypt and God speaking to them and God saying, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So God's again reminding Israel of their purpose to be a kingdom of priests. Okay, so what on earth is a kingdom of priests? Well, let's start with just one of them. What is a priest? A priest is basically someone whose job is to mediate something between two people. To mediate between God and, well, people. To God and Israel. And Israel is there to to reconcile. A priest is there to reconcile someone back to God. And so Israel's purpose, this whole nation God is building... It's a kingdom filled with priests who will reconcile people and the nations back to God. And so God does exactly that. He starts building this nation, leads them to the promised land, establishes kings. He he sends someone to build a temple so his presence can be with us because God desires to be with us. And again, all of these stories, fast forwarding through like a few thousand years here, I'm trying. All of this is God painting a picture of his ultimate plan that he wants to bring his people back to himself for eternity. So we're going to fast forward all the way to Jesus where we see the main part. In John three sixteen it says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And again, till Jesus, God's plan hasn't changed once. It's still God doing what he needs to to save and reconcile and bring people back to him. Except he's not doing it through Israel anymore. He's doing it through what Israel represented, you and I, the church. In 2 Corinthians it says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And then it goes on 
Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Again, same plan, same story, God using his church, you and I, to bring people back to God. So, what on earth does this have to do with young people and us and the next generation? Well, let's go all the way back to the start of that story. And even though the thread throughout the whole Bible is God trying to reconcile and bring people back to him, there's a pattern of how God does it, and we'll see in the moment, God's plan is so big that it's always happening through generations. It didn't take just one generation. It's taking generations to achieve this plan that God has. So if you look at Aram, God made that promise, through you, I'm going to make many nations. I don't know if you know, but Abraham never saw a nation. I think Abraham probably saw his one son. Abraham didn't get to see the nation. Moses was told, hey, I'm gonna, you're going to be used to lead my people into the promised land. Moses never, ever got to see the promised land. In Numbers 27, it says, this is God speaking to Moses, take Joshua and lay your hands on him. Transfer some of your authority onto him. In Deuteronomy, it says, um, this is Moses, I'm no longer able to lead you. Joshua will lead you across the river, just as the Lord promised. And the pattern goes on. We all know David, that, that guy, passionate about God. Everyone knows him. He had this desire in his heart to be the one to build the temple so God's presence could come. And God promised him that, but David never even got to do that. In 1 Chronicles 28, it says, Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings. Again, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. Even that temple Solomon built, that wasn't the real deal. You and I are that temple with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God outworking his great plan to save the nations and bring them back to himself. And God's way of doing this is always through generations. And then it gets to probably my favorite part. It gets to Jesus. Jesus spends three years with 12 people, training them, encouraging them, teaching them, modeling to them. And then he says this in John chapter 14. Anyone who believes in me will do even greater works. So if even Jesus is saying, hey, this, this mission is that big, that even generations after Jesus is still going to be at work bringing people back to himself. So again, why is the next generation so important? Well, it might sound obvious by now, but, but God's plan is so much bigger than you. God's plan is so much bigger than me. God's plan is so much bigger than, than this church. I love what Tyron Daniel said a while ago. The question is not, hey God, what, what is your plan for my life? The question we should be asking is, hey God, what is your plan and how do I give my life to that plan? We cannot say, let me not say, we, I cannot say I'm following God's plan if I'm not thinking about the people that's coming after me to carry on this mission. And I don't think you can either. So one, God's plan is so much bigger than you. And two, again, we can see a pattern in the Bible of how God uses young people. If you look at Samuel, the young prophet, he started hearing God when he was probably around 12 or something. Joseph, being sold into slavery in Egypt, prophesying uh, dreams to Pharaoh that, that saved a whole nation. It's probably late teens, early 20s. David and his friends, and they killed Goliath. Sorry, Daniel and his friends, also about 17. I don't know how old he is, but the Bible says it was a young boy that had the faith to come and give a five loaves and two fishes to Jesus when there was work to be done. 
And then again, my favorite, that Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of the nations. I don't, don't know if you know, but other than probably, I think, Peter and Matthew, all, the, all of the disciples were probably late teens, maybe early 20s. These were the people that God was using. And thirdly, there's something called, I don't know if you guys might have heard of something called the, the 1040 window. Basically, there's something crazy like two-thirds of the world's population is in this like small little geographic area in North Africa and East Asia where, where most of the unreached people are. But there's, there's a new window people are noticing called the, the 1330 window for people between the ages of 13 and 30. I think they did, a, they did a census around 2017 where they figured out some smart person that over half of the world's population is between the ages of 13 and 30. There's a wide open harvest field and a mission field of young people who sometimes I don't think we take notice of. Another stat, 90% of Christians are Christians because they met Jesus before the age of 30. And again, number four, Throughout the Old Testament, you can see the pattern of just a generation after generation, people training, handing over authority, because they see that a God's plan is so much bigger than just them. And so I want to ask, why do young people need us? And I don't know if you've ever thought about whether young people need you, but hopefully by the end of today you will. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm an expert when it comes to young people, because I'm really not. But, but one thing I've noticed is that, is that young people actually really do want something to follow, and they really do want to belong to something, and they really aren't as horrible as you sometimes think they are. Now, here's the thing. Young people get involved in a lot of nonsense, and nonsense is the nice word, and it's not because they're horrible. If, if you're getting up to some stuff, and so are your friends, and they're getting up to those same things, suddenly you've got a little bit of a community going of people that's doing the same thing you are doing, and you find belonging and community in those things. So again, it's not horrible. They want the same thing we all want. The thing is, I don't think it's just us that knows this. I think the enemy knows this also. Uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever watched like a, a National Geographic program where you, where, where you watch a lion hunt some buffalo or something. Now, again, when you look at them at the zoo and whatever, they look super big and intimidating and scary. But when I watch like National Geographic, lions look like the, the biggest wussies when it comes to predators because you see this massive animal capable of doing great things and basically it finds the, the little sick calf that's out of the herd and the lion attacks that. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm trying to paint a picture of the scripture in 1 Peter that says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour I think the enemy knows just how much next generation want to belong and how much they want to be a part of something. So I was just thinking that, that, that if we don't lead them, and by we I mean you, I'm not talking about pastors and connect group leaders, I'm talking about you. If we don't lead them, the world will lead them. If we don't accept them, the world will. If we don't set culture, like really set culture, hey, the world's always going to be setting the culture for us. If we don't show young people God's kingdom and all of its glory and riches, young people are just going to settle for the world's kingdom and whatever the world has to offer them. If we don't, if we don't use their talents, the world will. 
And lastly, I think they need us because of how short their time is with us. I'm just thinking, I don't know how up to date you are with, with what universities are like and what the big cities are like. But sometimes I'm, it's so scary when you think, hey, flip, our years we spend, whether it's your kids in your house, whether it's the young people in your church, whether it's your friends, you're, is, is that person ready to go to that new city? Is that person ready for, for, to be smacked in the face by reality and culture? Are they ready? Their time with us is short. And the reason why I'm saying this is, again, not an expert, but at least my, my, my tiny bit of experience says that it seems like it's a lot harder to be young today than it was 20 years ago. And, and I got reminded, I, I never knew this, but okay, the one part I did know is, is when Jesus was about to be born, the king sent out an order that, that had all babies had to be killed because he just knew that there was opposition coming. And I don't know, but the same thing happened with Moses. When Moses was still in his mother's womb, another order was sent out where all babies needed to be killed. And it's almost like the enemy knows when there's a generation coming that can do great things. And I'm not surprised that there's that amount of pressure and and temptation and and struggles with with young people these days. And I think it's because... I think there's a generation that, that, that actually is hungry for something real and something authentic and wants to actually make a difference. I think that's why it's so hard for them. There's a scripture that shows us what happens when we forget the next generation. There's Joshua, probably one of my favorite guys ever. He's the guy that, that led the army into the promised land, won victories, passionate about God. And it says this, after that generation died, Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. If we don't show the next generation Jesus and kingdom... Honestly, not because they're horrible, just because they forget and they don't know, hey, they give in to the world. Then I started thinking, hey, why do, why do we need young people? Why, do I need, why does the church need the next generation? Again, if you're really about God's plan, it's going to be bigger than you and you're going to need people to come carry on after you. Second, again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to in any way make it seem like young people are any more valuable, important than, than the older generation. I could come back next week and we can probably preach another whole series on, on the value of the older generation and the wisdom and the experience and the anointing that comes with that. Just, I just so happened to be today putting an emphasis on the younger generation. But young people are honestly just, just radical. Young people can be radical even if you don't think it now, actually they want to be. Actually there's a boldness and a, I think it's the wrong word, but there's almost a, a violence or, or an urgency to them. And besides all those hundreds of Bible names I can mention now of young people that did great things, there's a few more recent names I thought I'll just quickly go through. And if you know a guy called William Booth, he's the, he's the guy that started that, that Salvation Army. He started preaching in the slums of London at about the age of 15 and started that movement. 
Charles Spurgeon, if you know him, probably one of the most famous Christian writers, probably one of the best preachers back in the day. He started that at the age of 19. Jonathan Edwards entered Yale at about the age of 13, and at 21 was pastoring one of the most influential churches in that area. Again, to save time, the list goes on and on. This is what happens when young people genuinely catch the heart of God and kingdom. Another reason why I think we need young people is, and I got in trouble the first time I said this because I didn't say it properly, so I'm going to be careful. Okay, let me start with a disclaimer. God's word never changes, and God never changes, and I will not debate that fact. But people change. So I'm not saying God changes. God's word will not change. God's kingdom, his ways, his laws does not change. But people change and culture change. And sometimes we can very easily get detached from what's really going on if we don't know what's really going on, if no one's telling us. And so just a small example is not only does culture change, but people's struggles change. I can imagine for some of you, you grew up with struggles and persecution most of us will know nothing about. And you needed God through that, and it's the same word that got you through it that's going to get the next generation through it. But, but persecution and struggles today looks a lot different. For some of you, you might have faced political persecution or legit wars or something, whatever age you come from. But the younger generation today aren't facing that. Today, you hear stories of, hey, one of our youth leaves and they go to Cape Town and your, your very identity and your sexuality is being persecuted and challenged. Your rights are being, it's, it's complete, same God, same law, but hey, struggles have changed and we need to understand and be relevant. I'm going to get into that in a moment. And so if, if we're saying, hey, over half the world's population are that age and they're facing all these different things, the reason we need the next generation is because we can't get to them, but young people can. One of the most open harvest fields is probably campuses and schools, and, and we can't get there, but we can raise up a next generation that are ready to go there and reach those people and make a difference. And so I want to ask, Okay, but, but then what? What do I do about this? What now? And so I don't know what these are. Some of these sound like questions. Some of these sound like challenges. Maybe if you, if you open your heart, you might allow yourself for this to be maybe a bit of a rebuke to you. I know some of this is a rebuke to myself. I want to ask the first question. Are we living lives worth people following? In Corinthians 11, it says, this is Paul speaking, it says, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are you, am I, are we, are we actually imitating Christ in our life? Again, Tyron Daniel said, the next generation is the most anti-church, but the most spiritually hungry. Young people aren't closed off to religion and spirituality. Actually, they're probably more open than ever, but why are they so anti-church? Are we showing them something real. Just a silly story, but growing up, for some reason, my, my dad really didn't like water. He always told me, if you drink water, you're going to rust. And so we, we never drank water growing up. And, and we always, literally, it's, it's horrible. My parents are really good parents, but honestly, we only ever drank Coke growing up. And so it sounds silly, but, but when you only ever drink Coke, your body never thirsts for water if that makes sense. So, so when you're thirsty, your body associates thirst 
with that lovely ice-cold drink of Coke. But when there's no Coke in the fridge, you just don't drink anything because there's not a chance I'm drinking water. And so you never actually thirst for the thing that you actually need. And again, maybe that's a horrible picture to share. But sometimes you can't hunger for something that you've never tasted. And, and, but there's a hunger inside of you, you just don't know what it's for. And I think there's a generation hungry for something, but have they tasted it in your life? Have they tasted God's goodness and the fruit of, your, of his power in your life through how you live and through church? Again, I'm, I'm not the person to share this because I'm not married, but just, just as an example, or maybe even literally, when young people look at marriages in the church, do they go, yes, I want to get married? Or do people look at marriages in the church sometimes and get put off by the thought of marriage? Guys, are we living a life worth people following? You cannot pay, you cannot say you serve Jesus and not pay a huge price. Are we living lives that make it worth young people saying, I'm willing to give up, I'm willing to sacrifice comfort and the pleasures of the world for this thing they talk about in the church? Are we paying that price ourselves? Are we, are, we, are we building a culture where we're putting work and free time above God's kingdom? And the reason why I say this is one of the things that stood out to me so big is, is when God was speaking to Israel to get them out of the promised land, I mean, to, to, to get them out of slavery into the promised land, one of Pharaoh the enemy, his strategy, his tactic for keeping God's people from listening to God's promise and plan for their life was he gave them more work. He said, double their quota, keep them busy. That'll teach them to listen to what God's saying. Have we built a cult? And again, you probably don't want this advice from a homeschooler, but, but have, we, have we put this, this dream of busyness and careers and studies and, and work and making money above God's kingdom? Has that distracted us? Has that been so busy that young people are so set in this new culture of, of what life's supposed to be that, that that kingdom and sacrifice and God's kingdom suddenly isn't a priority anymore? I was... Back when that when that Ukraine war started, I was just following some of it online on some of the news platforms, and I was just I was just watching some of the footage, and, and a thought hit me: Imagine you out there fighting in the trenches, giving it your all, and you run out of your your last little pack of ammunition. Can you imagine your heart sinking to your stomach? It was all for nothing. I'm out of ammunition. What am I going to do now? And I thought of what if church is like that? A church without someone coming after us taking things further, it's like being at war and not having any spare bullets left. It's just, it's just going to die with you. The reason I say this is, again, I, I know we have some like amazing pumping connect groups in the church, and that's great. But if 10 years later, it's still just you and your connect group, and you haven't passed on those wisdom and those testimonies to someone else, what a waste of God's testimony and goodness if it only ever stays with those 10 people. In Psalms chapter 71, it says, Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. I want to ask, do you, do you value the next generation? Do you value God's plan and his mission that it's big enough 
that you're willing to make the effort to reach down and pull the next generation up. I want to ask, are they, are they at your dinner tables? I'm, I'm not just talking parents and your children. I'm talking, hey, are we extending our dinner tables to the next generation? Are you, are you available? Um, again, this is without a doubt. I'm not just saying this because Scott's here. This is honestly my favorite church in the whole world. But, but I have some, some young adults. I'm not even talking youth. I'm talking young adults, mates, going through stuff. We, I know that they probably need to talk to someone that just has a bit more experience in life, that's been through things. And somehow, I don't know why, but, but there's no one. They feel like there's no one there available that they can go and talk to and get advice and get help and pull them through. Because I'm not talking to pastors and connect groups. I'm talking to us, the church. Are you available to be there to share your life and your testimony with the next generation. I don't know who here has, has grown up with, with, with both their parents at home, but, but on a Friday night when I, when I chat to some of our youth kids, it's really, really rare to see a young person that has both parents at home. It's, it's not common anymore. It's quite rare. And again, I'm not talking about adoption and stuff, but I'm saying I know God has given so many of you the capacity to father and mother more than just your own two children that you have at home. And to the young people, I just want to say two things. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, it says, He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. Because our city is a wide open harvest filled with people desperate for Jesus. Hey, if you'll take up your call seriously as a next generation to say, hey, actually, I'm, I'm done with comfort and the world. Hey, actually, I wanna, I'm willing to pay a price on what it means to give my life to Jesus. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. But be an example to all believers in what you say in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Do you know why I think so many young people are anti-church? I just don't think they believe it enough. But if there are people living it, modeling it, being an example that it's real and that God is in this, and that there's favor and power and mission and purpose, hey, I think that we have a lot less anti-church people getting filled. So I want to say we need you. There's purpose and there's a mission, and it's the only thing that I can honestly say is worth giving your life to. So I just want to ask, if you'll stand, I just want us to pray. And, and if you've noticed, there isn't five next steps on what you need to do next week. But I, I was praying last night and this morning that literally God would just, that God would literally just do a miracle in our hearts to just open our eyes, to just, get on board with God's mission and just seeing the big picture and then trusting that God does a miracle in some young people's life to say, actually, I need to own this myself. I can't just, I can't just wait to be babied. I need to take this step to say, actually, there's a kingdom that I can be a part of and I'm done messing around. So if you close your eyes, Lord, thank you that your plan is so big. Thank you that your plan is so amazing. God, thank you for the privilege of being invited to be part of this to be part of a kingdom, to be part of a people whose mission is to reconcile the world back to you. So God, I just pray, will you, will you build such a, a culture, such a conviction in our hearts to say, 
actually I see that God is actually at work and I have a part to play in it. So I pray, Father God, where there's doors, where you open doors where people can start encouraging the next generation to be there, to encourage, to share all, all the wisdom, all the testimonies, all the miracles you've done throughout our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to pass it on. And Father God, I pray where, where we aren't modeling something to the next generation. I pray, God, where you put a conviction in our hearts to realize that if people are looking at us, whether we, whether we know it or not, God, will you help us to genuinely imitate you, Father God? Will you help us to, to live such bold lives that, that, that people can see the thing we're after? I pray that people would see your goodness through our lives. I pray that people would see realness, authenticity through our lives, Father God. So I pray where, whether, whether we've just been attending church and just playing this thing, Father God, I pray that you break that and you put such a kingdom heart inside of us. And I pray that the young people around us will catch it, Father God. I just pray for every young person here this morning, Lord. I pray, God, will you grab a hold of their hearts to say, actually, I've I got a part in this kingdom and I need to step up and I need to learn and I need to give my life and there's no time for me to waste my youth messing around when there's mission and there's purpose that you have for me, Lord. So I pray, God, will you come and grab a hold of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.